From the Nipty Radio Recording Studios, high above 107 Columbia Street in the heart of uptown downtown Albany, welcome to this week's edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. Today, we're going to be discussing important aspects of the introduction of evidence at trial and preventing the jury from being misled by the defense as to this evidence. Let's start with situations where the people are not permitted to introduce certain evidence at trial, which the defense is permitted to introduce. This can result in a misleading picture to the jury. They might well believe that you are attempting to withhold evidence from them when it is introduced by the defense and not by you. Now, an example of this situation is when the defense has been identified in a mugshot lineup that is suppressed due to the finding at a Wade hearing the procedure was unduly suggestive. If you establish an independent source at the hearing, of course, you will be permitted to ask your witness to make an in-court identification of the defendant. At the trial, the defense may feel that the photo procedure was sufficiently suggestive that it would be strategically advantageous for them to present these pictures to the jury and attack that suggestivity of the photo array identification, which led to their as they argue to the jury, to the unreliable in-court ID. All of this results in the appearance to the jury that you have intentionally withheld the evidence of the photo identification because of its suggestivity, and that suggestivity would have undercut the reliability of the identification by the witness. When presented with such a situation, it is appropriate to immediately request a curative instruction from the court where the court explains to the jury that due to the rules of evidence, the people were not permitted to introduce this evidence and that the jury should not infer that the people were attempting to withhold this from them, nor should they hold it against the people in any way. Now, don't wait until the charge conference to make this request that it be part of the general identification charge. You want this instruction given to the jury as soon as the defense introduces evidence of the photo ID. And this usually takes place during cross-examination of one of your witnesses, whether it be a police officer or the victim themselves. This is a very reasonable, logical, and accepted procedure employed in many courts to prevent the jury from being misled and preventing unfair prejudice to the people. Despite the propriety of such a charge, some judges are reluctant to give this type of charge, and unfortunately, there is not an overabundance of appellate authority for this common-sense approach. But I suggest to you, one such holding from the First Department, which affirmed a conviction, is found in the case of People v. Hill from 2001. In this case, the defense made a motion in limine to preclude the people from introducing evidence that the defendant and victim had a relationship stemming from drug trafficking and were also co-defendants on a pending drug case. Defense made the argument that that wasn't really relevant and the defense did not intend to make identification an issue and so forth. So the court granted the defendant's motion. 
Despite warnings from the judge, however, not to use this ruling as a sword, the defense subsequently chose to reveal this evidence during the defendant's testimony. Clearly, the dynamic of the trial had changed and the defense attorney felt revealing this would now create a motive for civilian witnesses to lie. And again, create a misperception by the jury as to the forthcoming straightforwardness of the people. The court wrote, by revealing these facts during his direct testimony, the defendant made it appear that the people had been hiding them. So as a result, the judge gave a curative instruction at the people's request. And not only did the judge give a curative instruction that the people were not allowed to introduce it, the judge also informed the jury that the evidence had originally been precluded at the request of the defense. Now, the first department held that the trial court properly exercised its discretion in giving this charge, which had further determined the charge did not disparage the defendant nor the defense attorney. Now, if the appellate division finds a charge such as this acceptable, then certainly a less severe charge that we have in mind would be appropriate where the people are not permitted to introduce evidence that the defense ultimately does introduce or opens the door to. This charge simply identifies the people as not being permitted to introduce that evidence originally. Another example of this type of evidence is a suppressed statement. And in the case of People v. Spellacy, a fourth department case from 2023, the court wrote, contrary to defendant's further contention, the court did not err in allowing the people to introduce into evidence at trial a statement made by the defendant after his arrest, which the court had originally suppressed. We conclude that the court properly determined that the defendant opened the door to that evidence during his cross-examination of one of the police officers who had been present at the time of the defendant's arrest. The court then goes on to put it in very clear, straightforward language that I suggest you could use whenever arguing for this type of a curative instruction. Inasmuch as defendant's cross-examination of that witness may have created a misimpression, the people were entitled to correct that misimpression even through testimony regarding defendant's suppressed statement. An excellent case that you should always have available when you go to trial. Another important aspect of introduction of evidence at trial is establishing the foundation or the reason for which it's being introduced. There are a number of situations where needed evidence may be admissible, but only for a particular reason and not admissible for others. When you are dealing with this type of evidence, it is imperative that you identify the specific reason for which you are attempting to introduce the evidence. A common example of such evidence is a statement made by a person, such as a police officer witness or a civilian witness who testify at trial. If such a statement is being introduced for the truth of its content, 
there must be an exception to the rules against hearsay evidence to permit its admission, such as an excited utterance or a present sense impression. However, if it is only being introduced to establish its effect on a person or persons who heard the statement, but not for its truth, then it is not required that a hearsay exception be available because this is not being introduced as a hearsay statement. Merely the fact that it was made, somebody heard it, and they acted in reaction to hearing that statement. The introduction of such, such a statement must be accompanied by a limiting instruction by the judge to the jury. The court will explain to the jury that it is not to be used by them for the truth of its content, but only to establish its impact on the person who heard it and to explain why that person took certain actions. When there is more than one evidentiary basis to permit the introduction of this or any evidence, be sure to make all the available arguments. Unless you preserve any particular argument at trial, it cannot be addressed or argued for the first time on appeal. One of the most effective ways to prevent the defense from misleading the jury is a motion in limine. Now, at times, defense attorneys will attempt to introduce evidence which may not be admissible in that particular case. If you wait to object until the question is asked of your witness by the defense attorney, even if the court sustains your objection, it can appear to the jury that you are attempting to hide something. One common defense strategy is an attempt to introduce the defendant's exculpatory self-serving statement that he or she made to the police at the time of his or her arrest without having to call the defendant to testify. Now, this is often accomplished during the defense cross-examination of the arresting officer who also took the statement which you've called to testify about the arrest. Unless there is an exception to the hearsay rule that applies to the defendant's statement, it should not be admitted into evidence in this fashion. There is no general rule of evidence, nor is there a specific exception to the rules against hearsay evidence, which permits the introduction of a statement made by the defendant simply because it was made by the defendant. Also, a defendant cannot claim that a statement is admissible because it is a confession or an admission when the statement is essentially exculpatory. In the case of People v. Falcone, a First Department case from 2001, the court wrote, defendants claim that the court improperly precluded him from introducing the very statement he sought to have suppressed is unavailing since the prosecution never offered to introduce the inculpatory portions of those statements. And the exculpatory portions of defendant's statements do not qualify as declarations against penal interest. If you indicate to the court that you have no intention of introducing the defendant's primarily self-serving statement, this should preclude any argument that defendant may have to justify introducing what is clearly a hearsay exculpatory statement for which there is no exception to the hearsay rule. When you anticipate defense will ask such a question when he or she is examining a particular witness, make 
a motion in limine to preclude such questioning before the witness is called to testify. This will permit you to make a thorough argument to the court and gives the court a chance to make a reasoned decision without the pressure of the jury's presence and a need to make a quick decision. This anticipation of improper evidence being offered by the defense is not limited to any particular type of evidence. Of equal importance is that you may anticipate that the defense will attempt to introduce the existence of this evidence even before the witnesses are called. The defense may suggest the existence of this evidence during the questioning of prospective jurors or in his or her opening statement. In such situations, the best course of action is to make your motion eliminate before the case begins. This, again, provides the court the best opportunity to calmly reflect on the issue. It also puts you in a position to know if the defense will be permitted to introduce such evidence, and you can decide the best approach to minimize the impact of that evidence. In the case of People v. Diaz from 1999 in the First Department, the court held that the trial court, had properly exercised its discretion in precluding defendant from referring in his voir dire and opening statement to his partially inculpatory but primarily self-serving statements. At those stages of the trial, the people had not yet determined whether they would be introducing these statements on their direct case, and the statements were clearly inadmissible on the defendant's case. Defendant was not entitled to reveal these statements to the jury in advance and therefore frustrate the people's right to defer this tactical decision. I must caution you, however, that in the use of the case of People v. Diaz, where the people had indicated they had not yet decided if they were going to use the statement, you must be very careful with that case because of the subsequent holding in 2016 of People v. Miller in the Court of Appeals, and in fact, they reversed a conviction because the trial court precluded all inquiry on this topic during voir dire and did so based in part on the prosecutor's uncertainty of whether they were going to introduce defendant's inculpatory statements at trial. So the court wrote, we conclude that the trial court abused its discretion when it entirely precluded questioning on the issue of involuntary confessions and refused to make its own inquiry of the potential jurors on the issue and their ability to follow the law and to disregard a statement if they found it to be improper. So please be very careful with this. If you have no intention of using the statement, then the defense should be precluded. But if you are not sure, you have to be careful not to attempt to preclude the defense in the entirety. Otherwise, the case of People v. Miller could lead to a reversal. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that this material will be of assistance to you in your trial work. We want to remind you that there are written versions of this and other materials addressing these issues in the Prosecutor's Encyclopedia. I want to thank our crack producer and man about town, Jonathan Marconi Crispino. To all of you out there, be well and stay ready, my friends. <laughs>